Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Ortho Radio. I'm Nick Bertha, and I'm here today with Dr. Matt Silvis, one of our sports medicine doctors here at Hershey Medical Center. Today, we're going to discuss gait and gait analysis. Thanks for being here today with us, Dr. Silvis. Thanks for having me, Nick. So gait analysis has been something that I don't really know a ton about. I think it's very interesting, and I'd like to learn a lot more. So hopefully today we can kind of shed some light on some of the more intricacies of what that means and how we can make changes. So I think let's just start with the basic foundation of gait. What are the phases of gait, and is there a right way to walk or run? That's a great question. So I think just to simplify it, I would think of gait as having two main phases, a stance phase and a float phase. So the stance phase just means that your foot is in contact with the ground. So when you walk, you are almost always in contact with the ground. Um, You're not really in a float phase, which means you're not touching the ground. Mm -hmm. So if you think as you progress from walking to jogging to sprinting, you spend less time touching the ground and more time floating through the air. So that by the time you're running, you're really trying to minimize how much time your foot is in contact with the ground. And then are there specific phases when, do those change as you go from walking to running? Yeah, so the, in a walking, and whenever you're physically walking, you're spending a lot of time in contact with the ground. And as you progress to running, or sprinting in particular, you're really, a sprinter's goal is to minimize their contact with the ground because that that actually slows them down. They want to float through the air. Sure. I think of it almost like a white-tailed deer um, mm-hmm. in terms of how people are kind of like constantly like leaping through the air as they're sprinting. So yes, those two, those two in particular, those two phases, one shortens and one lengthens as you go from walking to jogging to sprinting. Gotcha. So how has gait analysis traditionally been done in the past and still presently? Yeah. So what we do is if I have a runner who's had repetitive running injuries and they're seeing me in clinic, the majority of the time, the running injuries are caused by training errors. Mm -hmm. We kind of think of that as about 75% of running injuries. That's the whole idea that you're doing too much, too often, too fast, not taking adequate breaks between. So we do a lot of work with those runners on adjusting their training to not make those mistakes that lead to running injuries. Okay. That other 25% though, that's the part that I love about my job. They're mysteries. It's Mm -hmm. not a training Mm -hmm. error that's causing them to have their third stress fracture. Mm -hmm. So we start thinking about, well, how healthy are they? Is there a problem with their bone health? Mm -hmm. Or is there something biomechanical about the way they move that's predisposing them to those injuries? That's where the role for a gait analysis really lies, is breaking down how they look when they're running to see if there's a particular aspect of their movement that's causing them to have running-related injuries. We do that running gait analysis inside, Mm -hmm. traditionally, on a treadmill. You have to have a really good treadmill. It's got to have a strong belt because you're really, you know, when you when you film runners who are really aggressive about their running, yeah. they want to move. So this is not, you'd have to have a, a treadmill that actually can cater to people that actually are really quick on their feet with, with their running gait. Okay. It has to have a good, has to have a good motor in addition uh, to, to sustain a true gait analysis. What we do is we film from the side and the back, about 30 seconds, and then we can slow that down after we obtain our video into still frames. And we can literally break down through a bunch of different variables how that runner looks. Mm -hmm. And we can compare that to how an average runner looks. And what we're looking is, we're looking for side-to-side differences between the right and left side. And we're trying to figure out, is there something about the way they're moving 
that we know is linked to certain types of running injuries to see if we can figure out the why. Why are they getting repetitive running injuries? Okay. What kind of what are some of the things that you find you see most commonly with people's running pattern that leads to some of these injuries or the difficulty? That's a great question. So about 85% of American runners strike their heel first when they impact the ground. They don't strike the front of their foot. They, they strike the back of their foot. Okay. If you think about what you look like as a sprinter, sprinters are always on the front of their feet. Mm-hmm. Slower distance runners tend to strike with their heel. What we know is that when you strike with your heel, all the force of you hitting the ground goes into your shoe, then right to your ankle, and then right to your shin. Okay. So there's very little shock absorption that's occurring in your lower extremity, in Mm -hmm. your leg, Mm -hmm. to dampen those impact forces of striking the ground. We know that people that run up on their forefoot or their midfoot engage their foot musculature. And that actually can dampen some of those forces. Okay. And it's been shown that just by changing the way you strike the ground, you can decrease by seven times how much force your shin, your tibia, experiences with running. Wow. So if you have someone who has tibial stress fractures or shin splints, which are really common. I'm sure most runners have had shin splints at some time in their life. Those tend to occur more when people are heel striking okay? because those forces go right to the shin after they hit the ground. You're hitting the ground 160 160 steps per minute. Like Mm -hmm. it's happening a lot. So that's, that's something that we can adjust. So if we have someone who has recurrent shin splints or recurrent tibial stress fractures, and we film them and see that they're a heel striker, we can actually make modifications to get them to be a forefoot or a midfoot striker to take away those forces that the, that the shin bone would experience. Oh, that's amazing that it's that much extra force from having that difference of running and that that many people are running incorrectly and causing that force to go through. It's wild. I actually have some video of the New York City Marathon at the halfway point. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the elite men and women runners, they all float and they're all like midfoot strikers. (laughs) When you film them and look at how they're hitting the ground, very few heel strike. That's awesome. Um, Now, we're not all designed to be an elite level marathon runner. (laughs) Uh, I wish we were. But I think that there is something about that. They've learned how to run to minimize injury. And I think for some runners, certainly not all runners, but for runners that have recurrent injuries, it's worth looking at how people hit the ground, for instance, Mm -hmm. so that we can think about that as potentially their risk. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can modify that risk by gate retraining. And working with that runner to adjust how they're hitting the ground. Is this something I know you're saying a lot of the elite runners already kind of do this? Is this something that you find that you're doing with more really elite level athletes than not analyzing their gait? Or is this something that you do even for the layperson, kind of young ages to old ages? Yeah, so I see a lot of runners in my clinic, and the majority are recreational runners like myself. Mm-hmm. I like to think of my still as myself as still as an elite runner, but I know that those <laughs> days are are gone. Uh, but most most are recreational runners. I do see elite runners, mm-hmm. and but the filming process and what we do and how we look at the gate really is independent of whether they're an elite or a recreational runner. It's the same process. And again, it's that it's that subset of people who have recurrent running injuries. There is no right or wrong way to run. Mm-hmm. And if you're not hurt, don't change it. Don't change Just it. let yourself alone. Um, there really isn't a way to say that you're going to perform better sure. by adjusting to a particular type of running gait. But if you are a runner who's getting hurt a lot with your running, it could be in your biomechanics, the way you move, 
Those are the runners that we really want to see because those are the runners that could benefit from a gait analysis and some of those gait modifications. So once you've identified some of these abnormalities in their gaits, such as kind of the heel strike versus the forefoot uh, or midfoot strike, how do you start to implement those changes? And then is there a repeat analysis or is it more physical therapy? Or how do you really implement those into their day-to-day training? That's a great question too. So let's take the, an example of someone who's a rear foot striker and we're going to they have recurrent shin splints and we're going to adjust their running gait to get them to no longer be a rear foot striker. So how do we do that? Well, one thing that we can do is adjust their cadence. Mm -hmm. Cadence means how many steps do you take per minute, Mm -hmm. including both feet. Mm -hmm. People that have a cadence of around 180 tend to be right in the sweet spot. That's kind of a target that we have, a rough target. It's not a magic number, but we but it is something to kind of keep in mind as a as what we think is as a good cadence to get someone running up on their forefoot or their midfoot. A lot of the runners that we film have a cadence of 140, 145 steps per minute. So what we do with those runners is we literally try to get them to take more steps per minute. Okay. And by taking more steps per minute, they actually they start to run up on their forefoot or their midfoot and they stop heel striking as much. How do we do that? You can actually get a metronome app downloaded oh, okay. to your phone. Very cool. Um, now, you may not want to listen to while you're running. So they actually have metronome apps that are that are set to music. Okay. So you can actually just follow the beat of the music and that should be driving your cadence. So that's that's one way to do it. You can change the kind of shoe you're wearing. So if you've ever run barefoot on concrete, you don't heel strike. You don't heel strike because it hurts. Yeah. Um, There's very little padding underneath your heel. Our modern day running shoes have a lot of support and padding to make heel striking comfortable. Okay. So what do we do? We take away that comfortable support if we're trying to get someone to run up on their forefoot or their midfoot. So you can run barefoot. There are runners that do that. Wow, that's really cool. Here in Hershey, Pennsylvania, we have very few runners that want to run barefoot (laughs) because of the hot pavement in the summer, the cold temperatures like right now outside, it's uncomfortable. So they sell minimalist running shoes. Gotcha. And minimalist shoes really should approximate as best as possible the barefoot state. So have very little heel cushion. So that if you hit your heel, you get feedback to your head that that was painful. Yeah. And it forces you to start thinking about running up on your forefoot or your midfoot. So those are just a couple examples of how we can look at somebody. Let's say they're a rear foot striker. Some, some suggestions that we could have about how we get them to start striking their forefoot or their midfoot. Ideally, to decrease their risk of that tibial shock to stop them from having recurrent shin pain. That's really, really cool that, you know, it's able to kind of change the body in that fashion by changing some of the footwear and the cadence. I remember when I was doing a lot more running, everyone had always talked about kind of the goal being 180 and that's kind of where to, to be at. And I, I know my cadence is a little slow. I've even seen recently on my apps, I'm at like 160. So I got to, got to work on my cadence yeah. a little bit. <laughs> but I guess, as, as you said, you know, for me, my, my running's not uncomfortable for right. me. So I guess it, I guess it depends on the, the person. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there are so many types of running shoes on the market. And the reason there are so many running shoes is that there are customers for all those different shoe types and brands and styles. So that I think that just speaks to the fact that there's not a one size fits all when it comes to taking care of runners. So I really encourage runners whenever they land on something that works for them, whether that's their movement, whether that's the running shoe that they get. If you're not broken, don't fix it. Don't play with it. Just let it alone. Do what you do. If you do fall into the pattern of having recurrent running injuries, 
this may be a conversation you want to have with somebody who does running gate analysis. That's uh, it's very interesting to, to hear that aspect of it. Now, I know that there are some aspects, you know, people always talk about with running that they're concerned about. Uh, I know one common thing is people that have flat feet and altering mechanics. Is there something that those people can do differently that may change their mechanics easily? Yeah, so f flat feet, 30, 40% of people have flat feet. So it's pretty common. Again, if you're not having a problem, ignore your flat feet, don't worry about it. If you are having a problem, flat feet can predispose you to, to the same issue. Rear foot striking, shin splints, recurrent stress fractures in your tibia and your lower leg. For those runners, sometimes we'll, again, we can change where they foot strike. We can get them up on their forefoot or midfoot. That tends to help them. You can also use an insert or orthotic mm -hmm. to try to help build up the arch so that you don't do something that we call overpronate, which is a risk factor for shin splints and stress fractures. So there are ways to adjust inserts and orthotics into your shoe to help protect your arch and minimize that effect. There's also a tendon that supports the arch in mm -hmm. terms of how quickly it flattens whenever you run. That tendon and muscle can be strengthened through physical therapy. So sometimes there's a role for physical therapy and how we address this just by working on certain muscle groups that are designed to support the arch and the foot in ways that a runner may not have adequately prepared for. There's a lot of different changes you can make even with the, the shoe adjustments as well. How about in folks that have some pain elsewhere in their body when they do running like their knees, their hips, their back? What kind of changes do you find in their gait that really kind of stands out to maybe why they have some of those discomfort? That's a great, a great question too. So we actually, when we do a running gait analysis, we film head to toe. Mm -hmm. So we're getting the whole kinetic, we call it the kinetic chain. So that force that goes from your rear foot to your shin, then goes to the front of your knee, your hip, your low back. It just goes right up your body. So some runners will experience knee pain or hip pain or low back pain with their running. So while we focus a lot on what's happening in the foot and ankle, we're really filming the whole way up. Okay. I can give you a great example of a runner who uh, came to me with recurrent back pain. And this back pain was in the middle of her back. She had okay. had extensive imaging um, and no one could really figure out why she was having pain mm -hmm. only whenever she ran in the middle of her back. So we filmed her and what, what we saw was that she was constantly twisting her torso oh, okay. in the middle of the back. So she was twisting it side to side. Well, that's one very inefficient for a runner. You want to run straight forward. You sure. don't want your you don't want your upper body twisting side to side. And once we showed her on the video that she was twisting in that way and said we need to stop doing that and run straight forward, her mid back pain went away completely. Wow. And then it was a matter of just trying to sustain that improvement in her in her running gait. So we gave her tips and suggestions of how to do that whenever she was running. And then we refilmed her a couple months later and she had adapted this new running gait and it take, it took her away, her mid back pain entirely. So there's a lot of things like that, that we can do. And we learn a lot about someone's movement whenever we film them. And it can explain a lot of their aches and pains, no matter what part of their body that they're experiencing them. Wow. That, that's, that's amazing that you can, I mean, that you're filming the whole body and be able to see how all these things kind of affect each other. I know, it, you know a lot of people think that running is just, for the legs and that the rest mm. of the body doesn't matter but it sounds like there's a lot of intricacies and 
efficiencies that are going on in the upper body and the back that really kind of play into the whole running cadence. Absolutely. In fact, I, um, when I race and I run in a race, I'm always watching other runners around me and it's, it's really interesting. Even head bobbing up and down can Mm -hmm. tell you something about the way that runners landing on the ground. So there's so much that you can under, that you can learn by filming someone and, and, and how they move and how they run that can explain all sorts of different things. So there's a lot, there's a lot of value to that. How about with the arms? I know that, you know, in the past I've heard people talk about trying to be efficient with the arms and things. And I think that changes depending on whether you're doing more distance or sprinting. How does that play into a role? There's like an elbow carrying angle that we look at to get a sense of how tight someone's running at the elbow or how loose they're running at the elbow. And you're right. That can vary depending on whether you're walking, jogging, running, or even sprinting mm-hmm. at that far end of running. This is a great example, Nick, of where we're looking at symmetry in the body. So if your problems are on the right side and we see a difference in your elbow carrying angle, for instance, on the right compared to the left, it might explain why you're having those right-sided symptoms. A great example for runners is a side stitch. If you've ever experienced a side stitch or a muscle cramp on your side, they're, they're super painful. And oftentimes they're because you're running too tight on that side. And that can be something you can see with an elbow carrying angle. So there are ways you can teach runners to learn if they feel a certain way while they're running that they can think about what their running form might be like in that that moment and they can make an adjustment to relieve it so when it comes to side stitch most runners will slow their pace they start to relax they realize that they're gripping tight with their hand or their elbow Mm -hmm. is really tightly flexed and they they make that relaxation change so that they're running looser and that's what a coach will tell you to do with the running gain analysis, we can actually show them on video where that difference is between the two sides. And then we can kind of coach them on how to handle that situation if it were to happen while they're racing. So there, you can use the running gain analysis as an educational kind of outreach almost uh, to the runner to really show them exactly how they can avoid certain scenarios. And if they find themselves in a certain scenario, they can identify it and they know what to do to relieve it. And it's pretty amazing that you're able to kind of pick these things up on the video and kind of be able to show people why they have the symptoms that they do during running. It's, it's very, very interesting, very cool. Now, I know that you've done some research more recently with the gait uh, training analysis and finding some, I guess I would say, maybe some more accurate information or something more representative of what folks do when they're actually running. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so we have traditionally filmed runners inside on a treadmill. And if you, when you talk to runners, myself included, I feel like I run differently on a treadmill than I do when I'm running outside. Mm-hmm. And most runners will tell us that. So the question has, this has been a question that's never been answered. And that is, well, how does it compare? Mm-hmm. If we film you inside, are you running similarly inside on a treadmill compared to outside? Sure. Or do you actually, in fact, have a different running gait outside compared to inside on a treadmill? So what we did was we actually studied this with drone technology. So we took about 35 runners. We had them run inside on a treadmill. All those runners then ran outside on a track and we filmed them outside with a drone. We had that drone fly a certain height and distance behind them and to the side of them completely mirroring what we did on the indoor treadmill. And then we compared their running gait through eight validated variables. Mm -hmm. And what we showed was it's not apples to apples. Really? Wow. So it's kind of apples to oranges. Uh, You're still in the fruit group, (laughs) but it's not a perfect and it's not perfect. So a couple of those variables you can count on being the same, Mm -hmm. but several of those variables that are really important variables that we look at with running gait analysis are different. So the next step in our research is going to be, well, knowing that, 
how can we actually film runners outside easily in a clinical environment Mm -hmm. to do this drone study i had to hire an faa certified drone (laughs) driver essentially (laughs) pilot we had to get a lot of different types of permission to do this um, depending on where a physician's practice might be located if you're near an airport for instance there are rules and regulations so there's a lot of stuff that gets tossed into this but but it's it's led to that next question how can we use this information to get a better sense of what runners look like outside now that we know that it's not it's not perfectly the same yes yeah um and so that's kind of be the next phase of this work well that's 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 really very interesting uh you know you kind of think that I know that I feel different a lot on the treadmill than I would when I'm outside, uh, but actually seeing the way that that would change uh, on video and being able to kind of capture those moments of what I'm doing differently is, is really very cool. I'm sure you'll continue to find more really interesting research from that and hopefully be able to make more adjustments for running and make a lot more people more comfortable and not get the same injuries that they're having at this point. We hope because uh, running, jogging, Brisk walking is so valuable for human health. Um, it's just there's such great ways to exercise, and exercise is so important for how we age that we want to make it as safe and accessible for people as possible. And there's nothing more discouraging than being someone who wants to run. You're doing all the right things, and yet you still continue to get hurt. And we want to help those folks. We yeah. want them to be able to continue to enjoy and cherish this activity. Oh, absolutely. No, I think that that's fantastic. Well, I'm interested to see as things go forward, kind of where things go. So, well, I'll just I'll open it up to you. Everybody's kind of winding down. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell us or kind of you know forward for the gate analysis as we kind of come to a closing. Yeah, I think uh, you've asked some great questions. I really enjoyed the time with you this morning, Nick, to talk about this. I will say, uh, just just to highlight one more time, if it's not broke, don't fix it. There's really not a perfect running gait that every runner should aspire to. So if you're a healthy runner, you're not getting injured repetitively, you can stick with how you're moving now. Don't worry about it. But if you are a runner who's experiencing recurrent injuries, it could be in your biomechanics. Mm-hmm. Think about asking your doctor if they can get you in to see a sports medicine uh, physician who specializes in running gait analysis because that that could help answer the question as to why you're getting hurt. Don't be discouraged. It just may, it just may take that next level of analysis to figure out the why. Awesome. Well, thanks, Dr. Silvis. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us this morning. This is very, very interesting, and you have a really great insight into to all of this information. So thank you. Thanks for having me, Nick. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's episode. We'll see you next time on Ortho Radio. Thanks.